Today's Power Talk is titled Metal Hydrides and Hydrogen Storage. It's a conversation with Clark Crawford and Chris Callows of GKN Hydrogen. They explain existing and emerging technologies for storing hydrogen and the realities of solid-state hydrogen installations. Power Talk is a series of conversations about the changing electric grid, how you can leverage new technologies to increase your reliability and lower your bills, and how you can safeguard yourself. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Power Talk. My name is Nate Woods, and I'm coming to this with about 15 years of cat dealer marketing experience. Beside me, as always, is Greg Lambert, who's coming to this with about 30 years of utility power experience. And today's episode is one I'm very excited about. It's almost like science fiction to me. It's taking hydrogen, making it into a solid, and then powering electricity with no carbon footprint from it. It doesn't seem like a thing that's realistic, but as far as I can tell, not only is it realistic, but it's actually real with installations in the world performing. Uh, I'm part of Peterson. We were founded in 1936, and I, I like to kind of puff my chest up about that feel pretty strong and pretty established, but our guests today are from GKN, who actually trace their roots back to uh, the Industrial Revolution, starting out in 1759, working with metals, uh, which is incredible. I am, I'm excited, Greg. I know I'm kind of getting uh, motor mouthy here, uh, but I cannot wait to jump into this one. Uh, what are your thoughts? And well, I'm, I'm very excited too, Nate. I mean, you know, the fact of the matter is this is truly cutting-edge technology. And uh, we're seeing it here and now, and it's starting to be deployed uh, throughout this country, throughout Europe, and throughout Australia. And I think, as we'll learn today from our guests, um, this is truly the future of the hydrogen ecosystem. Uh, Peterson certainly uh, convinced of that, and uh, we're just delighted to be able to work with uh, GKN Hydrogen on, uh, on a number of opportunities. We're very fortunate today. We have uh, with us in person Clark Crawford, who's the GM and VP of Business Development for GKN and Chris Callows, who's the Director of Sales for the Western Region of GKN. GKN is located down in Carlsbad, uh, San Diego area, and uh, we thank you guys for being here today. Why don't we give you guys the microphone and let you guys introduce yourselves. Sure. Thanks, uh, first of all, Greg and Nate, for having us. This is uh, great to be able to talk about our metal hydride hydrogen storage. Uh, I'm, I'm a energy, uh, clean energy executive and been involved in commercializing new technology throughout my career. I'm very excited about this because I think this is the safest way to store hydrogen and it will solve hydrogen storage problems in a broad range of, of applications. Excited to talk to you about um, our products, our deployments and uh, what we might be able to do together uh, to come up with a solution that solves a customer problem. And I checked you out a little bit on LinkedIn prior, and there's there's a long history of energy. How did you transfer or, or move from maybe some of the more traditional forms of energy into the, the newer forms of energy or the cleaner forms of energy? Yeah, I, I guess I've always been uh, interested, you know, going back to engineering school, the idea of the hydrogen economy, you know, producing hydrogen with uh, solar electricity. So in the, um, the mid-2000s, I was able to make a move into to solar. From that, I uh, went into to energy storage, and then uh, most recently in fuel cells. And with this opportunity, it's an opportunity to realize that vision, you know, back from uh, my days of, of college and, and um, help the world realize the, uh, the hydrogen economy. 
you know, it was almost science fiction back then, the idea that we would make um, electricity from solar and then use that electricity to, to um, split hydrogen uh, from water. Um, and, uh, you know, today that's a reality. And what's before us is to commercialize these technologies and, and uh, broadly them, deploy them at scale. Outstanding. Outstanding. And who's this you've got right beside no, you? Yeah, sorry. Uh, Chris Gallowis. I'm the regional sales director, uh, primary for our West Coast division as well. Very happy. Thanks for having me, guys. Chris, you know, we, we, we looked you up too. Uh, <laughs> very, easy, very thorough. Yeah, easy to, easy to check anybody out these days. And, and you started your career in finance. I did. And, and then transitioned to clean energy. Was there something specific that you ran across as a financier that brought you to clean energy? Or how'd you wind up here? You know, I wish it was more exciting than that. Uh, but the transition was a little bit slow. Uh, I've been working in the banking industry for a better part of about eight years or so. Uh, commercial lending, uh, project financing in particular. And I had a friend of mine who had a waste of energy uh, company, and he would bring me uh, projects that needed to be financed. And there's no better way to understand how projects develop and, and understand the metrics behind it uh, than looking at the financing aspect of it. So uh, I was privy to a lot of information about how these projects got off the ground, and it really kind of sparked a, an interest in me and a little bit of a passion uh, building these waste energy facilities. And, and you know that kind of slowly transitioned into a full-time position uh, with this waste energy company. So for myself, it was understanding how these projects work, uh, how they finance, and then really understanding there was such a need for these waste energy facilities, especially in North America. Uh, I transitioned from waste energy to energy storage. I uh, worked for Nell Green Power for a number of years. Worked in that division to bring the same thing, lithium-ion batteries projects to life. And it was a great experience, you know, it really kind of start, sparked a passion in me, if you will, uh, in the renewable energy space. And uh, fairly recently, uh, joined GDK and Hydrogen because I, I saw where the market was headed, saw where the hydrogen uh, market in particular was going, and um, knew that uh, storage was going to be a big part of that. And the conversations that I had with these utility companies years ago was always more duration, more power, that sort of thing. So. I knew GKN's technology was was the wave of the future, and so that's how it got started. Oh, it's a great story, and you know, as all of us know in this this business, this is a project driven business. Yeah, and a lot of the uh, a lot of the sponsors of these projects um, may or may not be credit worthy, and you know, the projects are really driven by the lenders yeah. and the ability to finance. So, having that strong financial background, I myself worked for an investment banker for a year, and I've, I've mm -hmm. done a number of uh, project financings but it is really a, a follow-the-money game. Yeah. And the diligence that one goes through in, in financing uh, really gives you the discipline necessary to be able to develop and put together uh, strong projects that are capable of, of, of acquiring financing. Especially these new technologies. Especially the they, new they, technologies, they new because technology. banks don't like technology risk. Not necessarily, yeah. And that's one <laughs> of the things I think is so exciting about uh, the GKN technology is it, it's so simple. <laughs> it, it's such a simple technology. Um, it, which brings us to the question, I think a lot of our listeners in, in hearing this, this introduction, what, what exactly is a metal hydride? <laughs> so we, we store hydrogen using metal powders. And the way that hydrogen is stored is the hydrogen gas goes in, it encounters the, the metal powders at a certain temperature, the hydrogen molecule disassociates into atoms and those atoms diffuse into the metal matrix and they actually bond creating a compound uh, called a metal hydride. 
So we are essentially um, uh, storing hydrogen in the solid state. Well, I want to step back just a little bit. So why, why would a person or an entity want to store hydrogen in the first place? And, and then why would something like a, like a hydride be an attractive way for them to do so? So let me a answer your last question first. The reason metal hydrides are an attractive way to store hydrogen, it's the safest way to store hydrogen because essentially the hydrogen is bound to the metal particles. It's not going to evolve, it's not going to escape, it's not going to uh, react uh, in, unless you want it to. And you can release the hydrogen by raising the temperature of the metal powders to essentially the temperature of hot water. Once you reach that temperature, the bonds release and the hydrogen gas uh, is, uh, is released and desorbed and available to be used for the application. So why is hydrogen um, of interest to the industry? I, I think we're in a period of time where a lot of the demand for hydrogen is, to, is helping decarbonize our economy. Mm -hmm. And hydrogen is a very versatile tool. It can help decarbonize those sectors of the, of the economy that are difficult to, to uh, decarbonize. Okay, so it's for electric power generation. It can be, but not only. It can be uh, for a industrial process like, like metal uh, production or cement production, re uh, replacing and decarbonizing those, those processes. Okay, so I'm, I'm aware you guys have uh, standard packages. Can, can I, can I yeah, please, please, please? So we've, we've talked about you know, metal hydride as a, as a storage solution for hydrogen. Yep. What, what are some of the other options for our listeners? So historically, the hydrogen industry has stored hydrogen in two forms. One is gaseous, and to make a small footprint with gaseous hydrogen, you need to compress it to very uh, high levels. So compressed hydrogen storage. To do that, you need a compressor plant, and you need some vessels that can um, withstand the, temperature, uh, the pressure. The other way to store hydrogen historically is to liquefy it, so storing it in the liquid state. So the challenge with uh, elect, uh, liquefaction is it, it really is a centralized production process. Um, you know, it takes a very large plant to do that. It's very energy intensive. It uses uh, about 35% of the energy content of the hydrogen just in the uh, liquefaction uh, process. And then once you have it as a liquid, um, it uh, evaporates, and so you get um, a boil-off loss. About 1% a day, correct? 1% to 2% a day, yes. Yeah, which is significant. Yeah, so imagine that. You know, after 50 days, you essentially have no hydrogen left in the tank. And when it boils off, where does it just get vented into it's, the atmosphere? It's vented and it's released, and the reason you need to vent it is there is heat coming into the vessel that um, warms up the liquid hydrogen, generates gas, and that gas creates pressure. You have to vent it so that you don't end up bursting your, the vessel that you have it stored in. Now, is hydrogen, is hydrogen a greenhouse gas? Because it seems like if, if, you're, if you're venting hydrogen in an effort to shrink your greenhouse gas footprint, it, it, it almost seems like you're at odds with your own initiative. Yeah, 
I, I can see what, why um, that would create that concern, but hydrogen is not a greenhouse gas. The other thing about hydrogen, it doesn't exist in nature in, in its free form because it's so reactive. It's going to find something to uh, attach itself to. That's an interesting point. I hadn't thought of that. Hydrogen does not exist in nature in uh, in its free form. Yeah, you don't you don't uh, go mine or drill a well to produce hydrogen. There's right. no um, you know reservoirs of hydrogen uh, that's available, and the reason is it's so reactive that it finds other molecules or atoms to bond with. Okay, so so we already have these processes of. Uh, a compressed hydrogen in, in its gaseous form, or uh, a super chilled, I'm assuming, form of hydrogen in a liquid form. Why don't we just run with those? Well, because, um, you know, back to metal hydride, one of the, the principal uh, characteristics of it is that it's the safest way to store hydrogen because it's chemically bound to the metal particles. It's not available uh, to, um, you know, to evolve it's, it's the safest way to store hydrogen. The other thing that's really interesting about the metal hydride is if you look holistically, uh, start to finish from manufacture to usage to end of life, and you compare that with other energy storage options, uh, my understanding is that the environmental footprint holistically of a metal hydride solution is just absolutely superior to everything else. Is it true, I, I saw somewhere that uh, GKN actually uh, you're almost starting with uh, recycled materials, that those yep. materials have a 20 to 30 year life and then they're fully recyclable at the end of that. So it's really sustainable. Yeah, you're, you're, you're right on both of those accounts. We start out with scrap material to make the bulk of our alloy for the metal powders. The other thing is at the end of life we're 100% uh, recyclable. Compare that to lithium ion battery storage today where the recycled content is only about 5%. And you guys have a lot of it. We, I think we glossed over this in the beginning a little bit, but you touched on, you know, how old GKN is as a company and all the experience they have. But your your core business, GKN's core business, is is really metal powders, correct? Yeah, well, uh, GKN is is a large conglomerate you've probably never heard of. It's been around two hundred and sixty nine years. It's primarily in the past been three primary uh, divisions: aerospace, automotive, and powder metallurgy. The powder metallurgy um, division is the global leader in powder metal technology, both producing metal powders and then um, compacting and centering those metal powders into net shape um, uh, metal parts. So the automobiles that we drive, uh, the planes that we fly on, all of them have powdered metal parts in them and um, the majority of them will have a GKN, um, a part or component from powder metallurgy. About a decade ago, the company started developing metal powders to store hydrogen. So this technology has been incubated in their corporate research labs over a very long period. And, um, you know, it's, it's a, a technology that is not exotic. The bulk of our alloy is iron and titanium. They're commodity materials. As I said, we start out with, with scrap materials. But they have... The, the alloy and our solutions have been optimized to work with an electrolyzer and a fuel cell. For instance, what does that mean? That means that we can store hydrogen at the output pressure of the electrolyzer without any compressor. 
Could, could you define the terms uh, electrolyzer and fuel cell? So electrolyzer is that device that splits water, takes in electricity and water, and splits it into hydrogen and oxygen. In the case of our energy storage systems, we take that oxygen stream, that oxygen stream invented, but the hydrogen stream we store. And then the fuel cell is the device that takes that hydrogen and turns it back into electricity. So our, our energy storage systems are packed, packaged in a standard shipping container. And in that shipping container, we package an electrolyzer, our hydrogen storage, and a fuel cell. So it behaves like a battery, electricity in, electricity out when you want it. Um, and it's, if you're standing by one of our units, you would be unaware that, of the fact that we're storing the energy in the form of hydrogen. And if you're using elect, um, renewable electricity to generate that hydrogen, providing renewable electricity to the electrolyzer, we're storing green hydrogen. Okay, yeah, yeah I've seen uh, some instances where uh, there's windmill generation and solar generation, and then the, the GKN hydrogen shipping container, if you will, parked right next to those uh, generating assets. I'm, I'm not sure the correct verbiage for that. So the you have this powderized metal. Uh, surely it's not just a pile of powder getting blasted with hydrogen. What, what does the physical apparatus look like? How does it function? So this is where I wish that we were on video rather than a podcast. <laughs> I think what we, can do, what we can do, though, you guys have a pretty good YouTube uh, video. Yeah, we do. We, we, we'll link that YouTube video to, to this podcast. Yeah, That'd be great. So yeah. when people tune into the podcast, they can, they can click and uh, check out that video. Well, let me make it very simple. We take that metal powder of a special alloy, we compress it with binders in a proprietary process. We then package it in a pressure vessel. And then that is the hydrogen storage subsystem. Then we expose the metal powders in that configuration to hydrogen gas. And if the temperature is right, we store hydrogen by maintaining the metal at room temperature. If the metal is at room temperature, it's going to absorb the hydrogen that's available to it. Then when we want to release the hydrogen that we've stored, that metal hydride uh, compound, if we want to disassociate those hydrogen atoms and return it to um, hydrogen gas, we raise the temperature of the metal powders to the temperature of hot water. That's enough heat to cause that um, metal hydride to disassociate and liberate uh, the hydrogen gas. It, it, it's quite simple and it's, you know, magic, better living through chemistry. Chemistry and, and tempers, temperatures and pressures. Okay, so the temperature of hot water, I know recently we had, uh, I think it was 117 degree summer here in Portland. If we had uh, your packages set out in a field getting hit with the sun, are they, are they going to start releasing that hydrogen from the ambient, uh, the ambient extremes? No, absolutely not. Um, you know, the temperature of hot water is 140 degrees Fahrenheit, <coughs> and we package these in a, in a container. So as long as the sun is not hitting the container uh, directly, and we've painted the, uh, the container black so it absorbs solar, it's unlikely that in a, even in a desert environment that the unit's going to get 140 degrees Fahrenheit inside. Even if it does, it liberates hydrogen, but if you're not using that hydrogen, the pressure vessel contains that hydrogen, the temperature rises, and it's a self-limiting reaction. 
it's not like the temperature uh, causes the pressure to run away. It's not that case at all. Okay, so it, so it can handle uh, high heat really well. What about what about the inverse? If you had uh, these things set out in in Alaska, for instance, how how would they deal in the extreme cold? We've we've uh, the corporate headquarters for this business is currently in Italy, in the northeast region, in the Alps. And we have <laughs> that's pretty cold. We have installations that are at. Uh, 3,000 meters, so that's what, almost 10,000 feet? So it, it, it gets very cold there in the winter time. So we've, we've certainly tested the low temperature, uh, ambient temperature exposure. Right now, as we speak, we're installing a unit out in the California Mojave Desert. So, you know, next summer we're certainly going to, to test uh, the unit at very high ambient temperatures. That's fantastic. I want to interject here a little bit and uh, perhaps clarify some things for our listeners. Um, you guys basically make two different types of products, and that doesn't yeah. always come out for people. So yeah. the smaller products uh, basically have uh, hydrogen production, hydrogen storage, and energy production through the fuel cells. So they have an electrolyzer, the uh, metal hydride storage, and a fuel cell all in one container. That's correct. Which is really slick, and it's 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 essentially a battery. Behaves like a battery. It be, it be, electricity it be, in, electricity out. It behaves like a battery, but it's behaving like a battery with readily available recyclable materials, uh, eliminating some of the supply chain challenges uh, that we see with lithium and cobalt and nickel and all, all those types of things. And I think we'll talk a little bit more about Not that. only that, it has characteristics that batteries can't do. There's no degradation in capacity with cycling. There's no self-discharge, so it, it is capable of storing the hydrogen over very long storage periods. Yeah, batteries don't don't like not being used. You've got to cycle them re relatively often, uh, otherwise yeah. they just kind of have a significant degradation. It's a little known fact that if you park your electric vehicle at the airport for 50 days, when you come back from your business trip at 10 o'clock at night, your battery's gonna be dead. You're not gonna go anywhere. Until you recharge that vehicle, I'm sure we'll start hearing some of those stories on Twitter in the uh, in the near future. <laughs> but um, the other use case the is other, the other use case is for much bigger, you know, more more uh, massive, almost utility scale type hydrogen storage, uh, where there's a lot more um, metal hydride in the container. There's not necessarily a uh, an electrolyzer or or a fuel cell, and it's just basically a hydrogen storage medium. Yeah, that's that's right, uh, Greg. We the first use case, the primary use case, is power to power. So we have completely integrated an electrolyzer or hydrogen storage in a fuel cell to take in electricity and return electricity. On the second uh, last product that you talked about, it is only a hydrogen storage product. So it is a power to gas uh, device and it's meant to be integrated at the project site either providing hydrogen gas to an uh, industrial process or providing hydrogen gas to a internal combustion engine running on 100% hydrogen that would then uh, power a generator and return electricity. Yeah, and for our listeners, this is, this is the use case that uh, Peterson Power Systems is very focused on right now with GKN, uh, utilizing that hydrogen through the uh, newly announced Caterpillar G3516H so we are going to, for the first time in history, I think, have a reciprocating engine running on a fuel, hydrogen, 
coming from the GKN metal hydride storage solution that essentially has zero emissions. Very, very trace amounts of nitrous oxides, but that's it. No other emissions, an absolute carbon-free uh, solution uh, for, for a reciprocating engine. And this, this is truly, truly groundbreaking and very, very exciting, I think, for, for all of us involved in this space right now. Yeah, it's hydrogen energy storage and electricity production at the megawatt scale. At the megawatt what scale. What we do with our containerized energy storage systems is at the kilowatt scale. Our product, our energy, our, um, I'm sorry, hydrogen storage product that, that you talked about for your application, it is appropriately named. It's mega, high two mega, and it's meant for megawatt scale projects. Right. And I'm sure a lot, a lot of our listeners have a question. I'm just, I'm just going to chat a little bit here because Nate's had the microphone for a little too much, in my opinion. But uh, <laughs> I, I think a lot of our, a lot of our listeners, one of the first questions I, I always had about this is why would you take electricity? make it into hydrogen just so that you could turn it back into electricity again. And a very, very simple uh, answer to that question is because there are going to be times as we build out this renewable future where electricity is either, uh, there's an oversupply on the system like midday, summertime, especially like February, March, April in California, uh, there's so much solar on the system that some of it's being curtailed. We have energy that we cannot use and we're either paying people not to generate we're paying people to take that energy. So from a market perspective, it literally has negative value. So this is one of the most eloquent ways we have seen to take solar energy or to take evening wind when you don't have the load but you have all that generation and store it and use it when you absolutely need it. And as we've discussed, a lot of the energy storage technologies right now have shortcomings with regards to their ability to store, how long they can store, and uh, some of the uh, supply chain challenges in getting those materials to store it in the first place. And this solution uh, addresses all of those issues uh, with regards to being able to store energy for a long period of time and do what we call seasonal shifting of that energy. You know, we, our, our products across the, the board are long duration energy storage products. If you talk about our containerized solution, solutions, our energy storage solutions, they are days of energy storage. Like for instance, our medium-sized product, we call it Hi2Medi, it has um, six days of continuous operation of the fuel cell at full output. So this is not a two-hour battery or a four-hour battery, very long duration energy storage. And because of the, because of the modularization of the solution, uh, we're, our building blocks aren't two hours or four hours or six hours. You guys can really customize any type of application for, for, for capacity and duration, correct? Yeah, our high 2 um, Mega is in a standard 20-foot container. We get 260 kilograms of hydrogen storage in that 20-foot container. And they can be uh, stacked at the site to give you, um, you know, a metric ton per stack, stacking them four high so that you can get a very small footprint for the amount of, of uh, storage. This is metric tons of hydrogen storage. Can, can you give me a feel for what's maybe some of the smallest projects you all have approved versus what are what are some of the largest projects uh, you guys have worked on? Yeah, sure, we have our smallest prod product is a energy storage system pack packaged in a 10-foot container. We call it cleverly the mini product. And it's got an electrolyzer, hydrogen storage, and a fuel cell. 
we have one of those um, installed in Australia. Uh, in, in the application is called SAPS, Standalone Power Systems. Okay. These are power systems that are in locations where the grid doesn't reach in the continent of Australia. And it is taking, historically these installations have been powered by diesel generators, but more and more they're implementing renewables, wind and solar. And what our system does, it, it takes that renewable energy when it's available and stretches it so that it's available 24 hours a day and multiple days in a row when either the sun doesn't shine or the wind doesn't blow. So that's a, a great um, use case and application for our system in, um, in, that, in Australia. Okay, and then what about, uh, so, so I understand we've heard these things are, are modular. Just how many of them have you stacked up together? What's, what's one of the big projects you guys have in mind? So we have a funded project, funded by the DOE, to install two of our megas at NREL, at a site they, they have outside of Boulder, Colorado, that's a renewable microgrid. At this microgrid, they already are installing megawatt-scale electrolyzer and fuel cell. And will be the hydrogen storage between those two megawatt hydrogen assets. So they're going to be doing, at a megawatt scale, site built at the project, what our energy storage systems do at the kilowatt scale in our fully container, containerized solutions that are you know, plug and play and ready to run when they reach the project site. Fantastic. I've, I've looked at some of your guys' literature and I almost compare what you're doing more with like hydroelectric storage, just in that it, it actually works, it's actually practical. It, once you store the electricity or store the energy, it's there and you can, you can use it years down the road. Um, Everybody would like to have a mobile pump hydro uh, storage solution or a portable salt cavern. Mm -hmm. We are not bulk storage. We are distributed hydrogen storage close to where the load is and providing uh, hydrogen for decarbonization applications, like the data center application, running a reciprocating engine on hydrogen rather than diesel and getting rid of the emissions and the carbon. So data centers, that's a heck of a buzzword here in the Portland metro. Um, I'm curious, do you see data centers picking this up, or, or in what industries have you seen interest? Uh, in what industries have you not seen interest? Uh, do, you, do you expect everyone to get excited about this stuff and it just to be the, the, the new way everyone stores electricity? And that's about 20 questions. Yeah, so yeah, that, there's a lot like, to unpack yeah, there. I'm sorry, he, he, <laughs> some, yeah. he does that. Some time, of those so. questions, I'm going to bounce back to Greg there. <laughs> Our, our products, if you look at our portfolio, three products, they span a wide range of scale. Okay. From our mini product that is up to 25 kilograms of hydrogen, has a fuel cell output at 8 kilowatts, to our hydrogen storage solution that's 250 kilograms and su can support, uh, has a flow rate to support the full output of a 1.25 megawatt reciprocating engine running on hydrogen. And these products are um, in applications that have a tremendous amount of broad um, uh, depth of, of application. So, you know, the, the challenge that we have um, as a sales team is to keep focused on where we're going to find market traction and get volume applications. 
One of those applications we're very excited about for a mega product is working with Peterson Power to uh, go into the data center application. And, you know, part of that question was, you know, what is the market opportunity for decarbonizing data centers? And I'll throw that one to Greg. Oh, we think it's, we think it's a tremendous opportunity. Um, you know, many of our data center customers and, you know, data, center, data centers are the lion's share of our business at Peterson Power Systems. It has been for uh, the last number of years uh, because their energy usage is so intensive and the, uh, the, the, uh, the risk of not having energy to a data center is, is just unacceptable. They have got to have 24-7, they've got to have that backup power. So, and many of these data center builders and users and owners are really leading the charge for the industrial decarbonization of the energy sector. They have some of the most uh, aggressive goals out there and uh, some of the most uh, aggressive ESG goals. So they're looking for solutions and uh, you know, until recently, uh, there really wasn't a basket of solutions that were even viable out there. And you know, as we're sitting here on the edge of these new technologies, um, they're going to be looking very, very hard at these solutions. In fact, you know, Caterpillar was just involved with Microsoft and, and the DOE in a demonstration of a fuel cell uh, in a backup application for a data center out in Colorado with some DOE funding. So I think we're going to see more and more of these types of applications. And where this is, where this really is exciting, is. Uh, the uh, the footprint is is the 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 uh, energy density of your solution is, is really good. I mean, it's, it's a relatively small footprint, and we're not losing uh, energy over time like we would with a battery or like we would with uh, with other fuels. Or so, you know, this this standby scenario can stay there for for a significantly long time, and then the opportunity to help the grid in times of need with carbon free energy. Uh, represents a significant revenue generation opportunity uh, for the hosts of these data centers. So I think the the readily readily availability of hydrogen storage and the cost effective uh, availability of hydrogen storage is a potential game changer for the data center space. It's not going to happen overnight, but I think over the next decade uh, we're going to see some very very exciting things in that space. I do want to rewind a little bit and back up because uh, you, you missed a point that I think our listeners should be aware of. But there is a large hydrogen conference coming up in November, November 14th through 16th in uh, in Long Beach. Um, I know Peterson Power Systems is going to be there. I know GKN Hydrogen is going to be there. And a uh, little bird just told me, you guys, are you guys going to have a, a, a mini there on yeah, display? That's right. That's right. That's yeah. awesome. Tell this, us a little more about that. This is the, the conference is uh, Catalyst H2, and it's um, sponsored by the Green Hydrogen Coalition. And they have an outdoor uh, demonstration uh, uh, area. And we're going to be transporting uh, one of our mini units up there for a static display. We're excited about it because, um, you know, one of the challenges we have with this early stage, um, uh, commercializing this early stage technology is creating awareness. To, so to the extent that we can get out there and show it in a tangible form, it will be um, it will build uh, interest and it will build uh, market uh, demand for our products. Fantastic. I just looked up on, on my phone real quick. It's actually at the Hotel Maya in Long Beach, yeah. uh, November 14th through 16th, and an opportunity for our listeners to go out and see, feel, and touch what it is we're talking about here today. Yeah, and I, I think it's Wednesday that I'm on a panel called uh, Goodbye Bugs, and Bugs stands for Backup uh, Generators. Yep. 
And it's uh, a conversation about how products like our containerized energy storage systems can be used in place of diesel generators. And, um, you know, I, I think that they're, they're going to, hydrogen is going to be adopt, adopted at an increasingly rapid rate. And one of the telltale signs to me is you talked about corporations like large data centers that have their own internally generated decarbonization, carbonizing goals. For instance, Microsoft to be net zero by the end of the decade and zero diesel. So these are for-profit companies that are making these commitments and it's driving the need and the market for a product to fill that demand. We think we have a product that can be an alternative to a diesel genset, you know, at a very smaller level with our energy storage systems at the megawatt schedule uh, scale when we're combined with, uh, with the Caterpillar solution running on 100% hydrogen. But, oh, excuse me. <clears throat> but I, I think that, you know, the other thing that we're just not uh, replacing diesel gensets because I, I call diesel gensets all cost and no revenue. And with a clean solution, with a solution that is putting out no carbon and no emissions, it opens the door for revenue opportunities. You can do multiple use cases while you're also a backup power resource. Uh, peak shaving for the data center, um, load shifting for the data center, maybe demand response, and still have you know enough hydrogen in the tank that you can provide 48 hours of backup power. Exactly, and you know, just for, for our listeners, uh, especially if you're a Peterson Power Systems employee, you're listening to this, or one of our customers, if you're if you just bought a diesel generator, don't don't reconsider that uh, that that decision. You're going to need that generator. Um, there are a number of things we're doing with diesel generators to uh, decarbonize uh, their usage. One is uh, renewable fuels. Yep. Uh, we are a pioneer in the usage and adaptation of 100% renewable hydro-treated vegetable oil, which has a uh, up to 70% less carbon emissions than standard diesel fuels. And uh, we are also, uh, you know, working on the back end with tier four emissions control. So this is not the dirty diesel that, you know, that, that your father and grandfather grew up with. Uh, the, the new diesel engines are certainly a, a, a whole different uh, realm of, of what we're used to in diesel. But as we do move forward and we're moving out towards 2040, 2050, those years trying to totally decarbonize the sector, uh, we will see uh, these newer technologies take place. So I don't want any buyers remorse out there if you just bought a diesel engine from us. It's going to work. It's going to work for, for many, many years. There's a lot of things we can do to uh, address that carbon footprint. But, uh, you know, what we're talking about here is the future, and uh, we're starting to work together to deploy those solutions to uh, assure that our customers can achieve the goals they're looking for out 10, 15, 20 years. Right. I want to ask a a clarifying question and then uh, then a follow-up question. So, okay, so, so the diesel generators are going to continue to work, they're going to continue to operate, um, but you said that if you have the diesel generator, you're, you're missing out on that revenue opportunity, and my understanding is that's because of like air quality emission standards? That's correct. Limit, limitations on runtime of diesel engines. And so what, what a cleaner alternative, or a, a zero carbon alternative, no emission alternative does, is it breaks that constraint and allows you to use that same resource for uh, grid services and generating revenue. 
Okay, so then, then the follow-up question, you're talking about the, the commercialization of this new technology. And Chris, maybe this is where um, you might be able to help me understand this. So, so when, when an end user or a, a data center, what have you, is looking to drop the, these hydrogen projects onto their own facilities, what are the regulatory, bur uh, regulatory hurdles they might be looking at? What are the financing uh, considerations around that? How, how would an entity go from wanting this and being excited to actually getting ink on paper and, and starting the deployment? Well, you're talking about um, obviously shifting what they're doing in terms of their energy usage. So, you know, we provide the storage proponent of that. Uh, obviously, um, Peterson Power and Caterpillar providing the generation part of it. But, you know, we're, we're, we're seeing a lot of these conversations shift because they're seeing the metrics of these projects finally working. Uh, two or three years ago, we might not have been able to accomplish that. But seeing where we are right now in terms of the cost, the generation of these uh, it really pencils out a little bit better than it did in the last three, four years. So we're, we're seeing that shift now with the conversations we're having with utility companies in particular. Uh, they're dedicating full teams to doing research on hydrogen uh, technologies uh, into uh, obviously the storage part of it as well. So we're seeing that in the market come around right now. These conversations are, are at the very beginning stages. So a lot of the products, we're, we're trying to get them bankable. Obviously, it's a big, mm -hmm. big part of what we're doing. Uh, but we are seeing that kind of shift in, in, in the mindset of utility companies, particularly data centers, and we're seeing that going towards the market, towards hydrogen. So. You, you couldn't be more spot on, Chris. And just to give our listeners a, a, a little bit of feeling and data about this, two years ago, uh, burning hydrogen in a reciprocating engine or a gas turbine was 10 to 15 years out. Yeah. You know, two years ago. And, and now we're, we're talking about putting engines out in the field. Caterpillar has already announced their first uh, demonstration project. In, uh, in Minneapolis, mm -hmm. uh, I think St. Paul area. Uh, we're working on another one here in the uh, Pacific Northwest together with GKN. Hopefully more to come on that, but some very exciting things happening there. So the technology is moving a lot faster than any of us thought. Anybody in the reciprocating engine space, all of our co competitors, uh, people in the gas turbine space, everybody is working towards the adaptation of a 100% hydrogen solution right now. And I, I think it's just it's moving faster than any of us thought. Yep. Uh, the the R&D effort is just tremendous, and we're starting to see blends. You know, almost everybody can handle you know maybe 20% up to 25% hydrogen right now, and that's that's only going to increase. But we're starting to so, see so blended with what? Blended with natural gas. Okay. Blended with natural gas, and the and the interesting thing here is you know natural gas is mostly methane. You talk about pipeline natural gas, it's, it's mostly methane, and we're going to do a little chemistry here, but you know, we're, we're looking to decarbonize the energy system, the energy system, the electric system, and remove the carbon. Well, methane, which is natural gas, is CH4. It's a carbon molecule attached to four molecules of hydrogen. So literally all we're doing is getting rid of the carbon and using the hydrogen to move forward in our future of decarbonization. And it uh, seems very, very simple on a high school chemistry exam. But uh, the, uh, the, the actual application of doing that with, with the hardware necessary is, uh, is challenging. And, and one of the things that, you know, Clark, I think you alluded to earlier, is that the storage of hydrogen has, has, has consistently been a big challenge. Natural gas is very easy. You store it in a pipeline. Hydrogen's got a lot of challenges in a pipeline. It's a very, very small molecule. There's impingement issues. We are not going to be able to, to utilize the existing natural gas infrastructure for hydrogen. We're going to have to rebuild all that infrastructure. 
So as we're moving to a more and more distributed energy economy, it makes sense to store the hydrogen where you're going to use it. And you know, to your points earlier, when you look at the round trip efficiency of the ecosystem, if you've got to gasify it, you're losing 18% right there. If you've got to liquefy it, you're losing 35% right there. So this allows a very, very efficient utilization of that hydrogen where you need it. And uh, you know, we're, we're not stripping off carbon from that hydrogen. You can do that. That's, that's called gray hydrogen or blue hydrogen. It's right. called steam methane reforming, uh, yes. producing gray hydrogen. Yeah. Steam methane reforming, and uh, you know what we're doing is actually utilizing uh, low carbon intensity water to uh, to produce to produce hydrogen. And you get the question: Well, don't you have water problems? This is a very very small amount of water to produce hydrogen. There's a lot of water in, in a glass, a lot of hydrogen in a glass of water yeah. Yeah. When, when 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 you separate it. But you know, as, as we look forward and, and, and try to do that. Uh, there's nine different colors of hydrogen out there right now, and uh, I think what we're going to see with, with the hydrogen economy is we're going to see hydrogen categorized based on the carbon intensity Intensive of that hydrogen, hydrogen. Yeah. As, as opposed to, uh, as opposed to the, the color, color of that hydrogen. <laughs> you know, I, I was just asked by senior management for a presentation, why is hydrogen important? And my first response is, well, with the, uh, in the Inflation Reduction Act, hydrogen is mentioned 65 times. Thank you, Forbes magazine. I didn't actually go through the act and count everything, but Forbes reported on that. So well, obviously, you with a clicker in one hand and a, a printout <laughs> in the other. Oh yeah. So uh, the clicker for sure. But uh, at, at the end of the day, uh, hydrogen is getting a lot of attention, and uh, I think one of the things that the IRA got right, and I think we're going to do a podcast on the IRA in the future. But one of the things that the IRA got right is the production tax credit for hydrogen, based on the carbon intensity. So uh, there are a lot of incentives out there to, uh, to move hydrogen forward and get the economy going. And the storage piece has just been one of the most difficult pieces. And I think the more our listeners uh, get on the GKN's website, check out the, uh, the video that we're going to attach it to, go to Long Beach in November and see, feel, and touch this thing. But uh, very, very exciting with regards to the role that this technology is going to play in the future. And I think that's why uh, I'm so excited about it. And you've been studying it for about a week now. And, uh, you know, I, I know you're very excited about it. We had dinner the other night and a lot of questions about the technology. But an advantage, I, I see it, and we've talked about it, is, is the safety of the system. Yep. And, that, and I understand there's even uh, government agencies or um, universities like shooting shooting this hide, these uh, hydrides with bullets, catching them on fire and just ensuring that they're safe. I know recently there was um, a lithium ion battery fire in California, shut down Highway 1, uh, was a bit alarming. And, and I'm curious if, if we take that safety piece but we turn it to a, a dollars piece, do you think customers who leverage this hydrogen technology might see a savings in uh, their liability insurance versus uh, some of these utility scale uh, lithium ions? Yeah, I think that the industry is getting cautious. Um, the power industry is getting cautious about very large installations of, of uh, battery storage. Certainly, the fire departments are getting concerned about some of these electric vehicle fires, and you know they're ill prepared to to address them. The amount of water that it takes to you know put on an electric vehicle continuously to um, to make it safe. So you, you might be right, and um, you know part of 
why we're doing the destructive tests that you talked about at um, you know recognized testing labs is to demonstrate in a very visual way um, that our metal hydride hydrogen storage is the safest way to store hydrogen. So we're purposely you know de de um, you know uh, being destructive to it and you know challenging it to see how it's going to react. But I think I've told you this story before that if I had uh, the metal powders in my hand that were loaded with with hydrogen, so they had that metal hydride compound. It's non-flammable. I could take a a torch, and I'd have to take the torch and continuously put the torch on it, and eventually you get it to glow a bit like a charcoal briquette. So it's a very controlled release of that hydrogen, even when it's uh, exposed to a flame. So if you had the hydride on a pallet the pallet would be a bigger fire risk. That's one way to put it, yes. Okay, that's fantastic. It's more flammable, the metal, or the wood pallet. Yeah, and what what you touched on here, Clark, I just want to go back to is, uh, you know, our, our focus today has been primarily on stationary applications for power generation, but the transportation sector, I mean, we're not going to get from San Francisco to New York in an EV. It's, it's, it's just not going to happen. So yep. the, anytime soon. Anytime, anytime <laughs> soon. So the hydrogen piece is, is really, really important. And as we distribute that hydrogen, we're not going to build these pipelines. We're going to store the hydrogen where it's needed at these stations. I think that's just a tremendous use case for, for this GKN solution. That's, that's very uh, applicable to our technology. I often describe our, our, uh, our technology is distributed hydrogen storage near where the, the use and the load is. Fantastic. Chris, I want to ask you a question, Don. You're the, you're the business development guy. Yep. I spent a lot of my career in business development guy, so you get a lot of phone calls um, of people who dreamed up ideas and dreamed up different applications and stuff like that. What, what are some of the things that, that you're seeing from the marketplace with regards to uh, applications that people are thinking about that perhaps uh, you, you hadn't even thought about when you came to GKN? You know, we just touched on it. Uh, having um, refueling stations in particular, we get a lot of interest from. And, and one of the reasons being, of course, is there's not that many at, at the moment. Clark can, can uh, attest to this the best, be that he's a uh, Toyota uh, Mirai owner. Uh, there's one refueling station in San Diego where we live. So the application and the market for this is uh, undeniable. We know that uh, we can put one of our Medi systems in a, a centralized location, maybe where there's currently gas right now. We can put one of our units at the location and you have a viable uh, refueling station. So refueling stations, EV chargers as well, uh, can utilize the hydrogen and the fuel cell to, to generate the power uh, and you can create a, a, a essentially a off-grid EV charging uh, solution. And so there's been a lot of interest around around those applications as well. That's so. exciting because we're we're going to need EV chargers where infrastructure is not. And that's that's a that's where we have a lot of those conversations as well. So you know, and, and I want to touch on one other point we just talked about about the the mega storage. You know, I, I worked in the energy storage division for quite some time with lithium ion, and a lot of the conversations we had, they were very excited about the four hours that mm -hmm. you got with lithium ion, and you know, our storage solution opens up a whole new opportunity for. Uh, utilities in particular to to monetize uh, a, a certain part of the energy that they never realized before. So you talked about uh, what applications, Greg. You know, we're, we're it's an education on both sides of the coin. You know, we're we're finding solutions that for our clients. 
uh, and then we're opening up new opportunities for them to to use that energy in a way that they didn't think about before. So not only just peak shaving and, and other applications, but really giving them a whole opportunity to to 20, 30 hours extra of, of, of revenue. So very exciting to be a part of that. Indeed, indeed, great stuff. Me? Well, I'm curious what. What would this not work well for? For what industry would you not recommend? <laughs> you had to ask that question. Now, or, or is it going to be one of those things like electricity where if, if you live close to the grid, you obviously want to be connected to the grid. Is it, is it going to be ubiquitous or, or are there certain things that have to be present for hydrogen to make sense? It doesn't work in work well in weight-sensitive applications because it's relatively heavy. And a weight-sensitive so, application like? Like passenger fuel cell vehicles like I drive. You know, the storage for those are type 4 filament-wound composite tanks that are inherently very light in their construction. Um, our unit is, is relatively heavy. That's why it's very appropriate for uh, uh, stationary storage. Having said that it's not appropriate, probably not a good fit for light passenger vehicles, it's a very good fit for the heavy-duty sectors of transportation like rail and, and uh, marine. In fact, we've already installed uh, one of our hydrogen storage modules in a passenger marine ferry uh, in Italy that's out in, in doing its, its sea trials. And in that, that application is providing fuel storage, hydrogen storage to a hydrogen fuel cell that's providing motive power uh, for this passenger uh, ferry. That's incredible. That's great. So, okay, so that, that's something I wouldn't have thought of. Um, surely there's lessons learned there. And, and, and your installations, your oldest installation can only be a, a few years old at most. What lessons have you already learned? How has your product changed? And, and what, are you, what are you still learning today? So I think I mentioned in, in the introduction that this uh, technology was incubated inside of the corporate research labs for uh, GCAN powder metallurgy over about a decade. And so it had a very uh, long gestation period. Um, and that has allowed the company to come forward with a very mature product line in a very short time. Uh, we have installations in the field that have been installed since 2018. So they've been um, you know, four years of track record. And we are developing, you know, you talked to uh, uh, Chris about how does one develop, you know, a financeability and bankability. You do that through, you know, field track record and having the data to show that the system performs as it's specified over long periods of time, over environmental conditions from extreme heat to extreme cold. And that's what pilot projects are all about. You know, this, this project uh, potentially with uh, yourselves and Caterpillar, it's about generating, you know, the data that makes your data centers uh, confident to take um, the next step, step in deploying it at one of their sites. Exactly. You, you, you talked about time. I want to just ask about that. Uh, what's the expected uh, life cycle for the for the metal hydride solution? Yeah. Because I know if I, I just I, I know if I'm doing a battery and I'm looking at my performer, I'm talking to a yeah. lender, yeah. and I'm working on a 20 or 30 year performer. I'm going to place the battery at least once 
in 20 years and probably twice if I'm looking at 30 years. So how, do, how does the metal hydride compare with regards to life, life expectancy? So our, our mega, as an example, has a life expectancy up to 30 years. And you know this is another area where it's different than uh, lithium ion battery storage. We have essentially no degradation with cycling, with charging and discharging hydrogen in and out of um, the, the unit. The other thing is we have no degradation with aging over time. And um, I'll take two of those, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll take one of those too. So it's, uh, it's quite different than uh, lithium ion battery storage in those aspects. And it opens the door for applications and use cases that lithium ion batteries can't do. Yeah. And this is what I was touching on a little bit earlier about the financing aspect of it. it, it the utility companies really have to understand that. And, and part of what we do, and the majority of what we do, is educating them on, on the process, but really understanding what you can use with that extra energy. And, and to your point about the bankability of it, uh, it's a different uh, different realm now that we have to do have to understand so yeah let, let, let me ask one more use case question um, that I'm kind sure. of thinking about so comparing um, batteries and you know again we, we maintain here at power talk that our future is in all of the above mm. there, there's room for every technology in the energy future because we're, we're gonna need all of them so what you're talking about the the GKN metal hydride storage obviously it, uh, it's an excellent solution for what would category, categorically be called an energy battery. How would this behave as a power battery if I needed that huge inrush to like, can I rapidly empty out the, uh, the, the mega uh, for like, you know, a 15 minute uh, uh, use case where I need a bunch of power? Or if I had to like kick on a pump. Yeah, for, for that big inrush, or does this thing, is it, is it a more steady, more of an energy uh, application as opposed to a power application? So it depends in how you use it. And let me give you an example. Our energy storage systems, um, in addition to a fuel cell electrolyzer and hydrogen storage, we've integrated lithium ion battery in there as well. Okay. So they have no startup transient. And the reason they have no startup transient is initially the electricity for the load is, is coming out of lithium ion battery while the fuel cell is warming up over about 20 seconds. So that's how we've solved the, the startup transient. So if you had a, a burst mode application like you described, you may keep our hydrogen storage system on standby. So you may keep it at, um, if not the release temperature, something that's elevated so that it would be very quick to, to warm it up and have hydrogen available. Having said that, there is hydrogen, there is free hydrogen that's still in the gaseous form. This is the, the hydrogen gas that's in the porosity and in the plumbing and connections and the tubing. That uh, hydrogen is about 4% of the hydrogen that we store. So on a, on a initial startup, that gaseous hydrogen is available immediately to the engine to provide uh, power while we're warming up the rest of the hydrogen and releasing the hydrogen from storage. So there's a lot of tools that we can use to deal with you know, burst mode power or eliminating startup transients or becoming load following. There's a lot of things that we can do to, uh, to meet the application's needs. Excellent. And you know, we are, we do a lot of um, system 
design to solve customer problems. We configure the product such that it meets the customer needs. And no doubt when we get into uh, your application, we'll have to, you know, do some of these things to solve some of the use cases or the transients. Yeah, I see some optimization there because especially uh, with the applicability of the waste heat from the engine, you utilize that as our liberating uh, energy. Right. Um, so, so it won't be, be available there. right away on startup. Right. So we can do detailed uh, simulations uh, from mathematical models that we have on how this system behaves. So excited to get into the, you know, the detailed design with our engineers and simulate the behavior of a system as it starts up and how we would accomplish uh, what needs to be done for the application. I'm, I'm super excited to go through that uh, analysis with GK and I think it's gonna be a lot of fun and I think we're really gonna uh, put together a, an integrated system uh, that's gonna have a nice footprint going forward in the future in the hydrogen. Ecos ecosystem. Safe and compact. Safe and compact, exactly. Safe and compact. Having said that, uh, looking at my watch, I think we're coming up on an hour. I'd, I'd like to start uh, doing some wrap-up here. Uh, Nate, any, any final thoughts? Yeah, the, the last thing I'd ask is, if you had to fit it into a sentence, you should consider solid-state hydrogen storage if, and, and how would you complete that? If you have a need for hydrogen in an application where you need the characteristics of safe and compact. And one more I added earlier, recyclable, 100% recyclable. Yeah. That's fantastic. Is there anything I, I'm going to say recyclable as well. And if you have a, a need to decarbonize your ecosystem. But really, this is a, a, a true uh, game-changing, if you will, uh, application of technologies. Is, hydrogen ecosystem in general, but it really a game changer when it comes to decarbonizing and, and having safe application as well. And if somebody wants to know more about this, what what's one or two places they could look? So come to Long Beach <laughs> in November. Link in the description. Yeah. If you're listening to this after November, go to our website, gcanhydrogen.com. And um, there is a link on there where you can submit an inquiry if it's in the western part of the U.S., Chris is going to respond to that inquiry. Or call me. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. My, my contact information is here. Chris and I talk uh, multiple uh, times a week. Yep. We're doing lots of things together. So, uh, you know, Peterson is uh, really happy to work with GKN and uh, getting this technology out there. So feel, feel free to give me a call and, and uh, be happy to uh, work with you, point you in the right direction, and work closely with our good friends here to get questions answered and get product placed. Fantastic. So, uh, in, in summing it up, uh, Chris, Chris. No, yeah, thanks so much. We really appreciate you guys Thank you, guys. Here. Thanks yeah, for coming out. Uh, real excited to talk about our technology. Uh, we've listened to all the power talks in the past, so we're happy to have this opportunity to talk about our Yeah, we appreciate you guys uh, making the sacrifice to come up here to Portland. It's been raining <laughs> the entire time. Yep, and uh, hopefully, uh, I'm, I'm sure the sun will be shining in San Diego tomorrow, and uh, there's a good chance It'll be shining in, uh, in Long Beach in a few weeks, and we hope to see a bunch of our listeners there as well. Absolutely. So thanks again, guys. Really Thank appreciate you. it. Thanks, thanks for having us. Appreciate it.